it's all we dream big, it's all we take with us, and do things we did, yeah. dream big, yeah, just dream big, yeah, that's what my papa said, dream big, mama, it's all we dream big, it's all we take with us, and do things we did, dream big, yeah, just dream big, Hello, everyone. Thank you, and welcome to Toxic to Triumph. I am your host, Matthew Pfeiffer, and today I have on a very special guest. I have on Richard Grannon, and he is out of the UK. Him and I connected on TikTok and on Instagram, but I think your your biggest platform at the moment is YouTube, from what I understand. Is that correct? Yes, sir. So I, I, I found him a few years ago on YouTube, and uh, I absolutely love his work. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of synergy in this show because him and I agree on a lot of different things and I appreciate his work, appreciate the things that he's done. I think he's, his work has predated, predated mine quite a bit. Um, several, 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 several decades before mine. I'm just teasing, but uh, <laughs> no, but he's, uh, but he is definitely someone who, uh, who I've looked to, um, who I've pulled from his work and, uh, so I appreciate him so much. So Richard, thank you very much for joining the show. And if you could, you I'm going to toss it over to you. And if you could just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into it. Uh, my name is Richard Grannon. I have a degree in psychology uh, for what it's worth or, or might not be worth. Um, my background was I was originally doing cognitive behavioral therapy seminars for um criminals i think we called them clients in the probation service um and uh i i left that after a while because i didn't find that particularly useful and i was going to join the army and when i was thinking about joining the army i started doing nightclub security because i couldn't stand working in offices and that then went into me uh teaching self-defense and developing an uh like an online business where I was selling uh, self-defense DVDs and audios, where I would blend, because I had a background in martial arts, and I would blend like what I knew about like physical fighting techniques with emotional and um, psychological techniques to prepare people for real-world violence and its consequences. Mm -hmm. That then got me a following of instructors who were uh, who had sort of used it, cannibalized that work with my permission and then take it to their students and their students loved it. But privately, the instructors would be like, so, you know, a bit about psychology and a bit, can you, can I talk to you about this? And they'd have like the same embarrassed sort of like grin every time. Yeah. And I found that in the community of martial arts instructors, fighters, law enforcement uh, officers, military, you name it, like bouncers, bodyguards, they, there is a very, very high propensity for people-pleaser syndrome, for porous ego boundaries and inability to assert themselves, mm-hmm. which is weird considering like some of these people assert boundaries by shooting other people dead yeah. or fighting with them physically, but they mm-hmm. couldn't say no to their kids or they couldn't ask for a raise or if somebody cut in front of them in the queue, they couldn't deal with it. They could yeah. shoot them, but they couldn't talk to them, um, which is not useful like that's not a useful skill so i started focusing on that and out of that spartan life coach was supposed to be a subunit of streetfightsecrets.com where we do the life coaching for guys and girls who couldn't couldn't assert themselves um and it one day when i was working on youtube somebody said this sounds like narcissism can you talk about the daughters of narcissistic mothers and i was like well i'm not the daughter of a narcissistic mother right but i can research it for you and see what happens and that that video went viral 
Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, wow, there's a real taste here to talk about narcissists and psychopaths. So I learned as I went and people yeah. watched me. They seemed to enjoy watching me research. So I'd be like, oh, I read this or mm-hmm. I, I saw this last night. Because in my degree, it was pure behavioral psychology. It was to be taught as a science. You couldn't, Freud was a joke. Young, you'd be thrown out of class. We don't heal people. We don't do counseling. That's for like hippies. No psychoanalysis. That's just mm-hmm. bullshit. No personality disorders doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to, the, 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 the degree really did nothing for what I'm doing, mm-hmm. except it taught me how to read papers. So yes. I'm not scared of, re- I'm not scared of reading a paper right. <laughs> or running an experiment because they, they forced me like against my will, they made me do it. So I retroactively sort of retrained myself in that area and yeah it, it grew from there it was organic after that for like uh that was 2013 that happened where are we eight years later yeah here i am i think that's true of a lot of people who are in the narcissistic community is that uh they even people who are therapists they didn't i mean they uh, speaking from personal experience you learn about it but it is a whole nother ball game whole nother ball game when you actually experience it um you know what when you you can read it from a book but uh, there's a lot of things that you can read from a book and you can kind of understand and get it and get all the nuances of it and describe it, teach people about it, help people recover from it. You know, I never personally struggled with an addiction, but I, I was a very good substance use therapist. And but narcissism, completely different ballgame. Right. Yeah. When we're talking about someone who's manipulative, controlling, you know, because ultimately it comes back down to your boundaries and you asserting yourself and. Uh, and a lot of uh, where, where I know we're going to end up heading this whole people pleaser thing, you think that that is going to end up keeping you safe and it doesn't. Uh, mm-hmm. tell, tell me a little bit more about your experience, like more of the recovery side. When you started coming out of that, what did that look like? And what did that when you started to realize that, um, you know, that this this relationship is abusive and this is toxic? Well, um, in the in the name of full disclosure, I have to admit that I've been since I started talking about narcissism, I've been in two narcissistically abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking to people about avoiding narcissistically abusive relationships. I've been in two yeah. since the project began, um, and and the reason, one of the reasons to for bringing that up is to say that, like, first of all, there's a tremendous amount of shame around this subject. Um, but even if you're educated on it, you really can't see it coming. You can right. list all the red flags you like. Right. Forget that. That's right. it's not going to save you. The only way to save you is overcoming codependency. But I know you want to leave that to later. Yeah. Um, and I think the other reason for wanting to say it is to the point you just made. If you haven't lived this, you wouldn't believe it. It's right. so outlandish. Mm-mm. Like our stories are crazy. In the community, we're like, "Yep, mine did that too." But outside mm-hmm. the community, people are like. People don't do that. They do that no. in movies. They don't do that in real life. And it's like you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe the the shit this person's done and what they've said to me unless you were there. You just wouldn't believe it. And then they'll say, not only do I not believe that they did that, but I don't believe you stayed. If it's true what you're telling me, why did you stay? And you have no words to explain why you would do something so ridiculous. Why would you put up with somebody doing that? And it, make, and, you know, so, and, and it makes it worse when you're a guy, you know, yes. when you're a guy, you know, because uh, typically most of the time, not every time, but most of the time you're uh, physically bigger, physically stronger. Right. And so when you start telling these stories and, 
you know, um, and to, to be fair, uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously you have a self-defense background, but, you know, uh, when I came out about my story, you know, I, people knew that I played football. People knew that I was an athlete. So they're like, Matt Pfeiffer, are you fucking kidding me? Right. This is the same, the, the tailback, are you kidding me? You know? And so, um, so tell a little bit about that as well. Just kind of the stigma when it's, a, when you're a male coming out of this as well. Well, most of the stigma was I applied to myself. Like nobody told me I was useless or a piece of crap or a simp or anything. I, I said it to me. Mm-hmm. I was like uh, at 33, I was going, okay, so you have an internationally recognized brand in martial arts. The U.S. Marshals out of Las Vegas were using my material. I would speak to the chief uh, trainer of the U.S. Marshals in Las Vegas once a month at least. And I was like, if he knew <laughs> what a simp you are and what you let... So, so you let this 24-year-old girl who's like, you know, 45 kilograms ringing wet just destroy your life, you really? And you're a self-defense instructor and you can't defend right. yourself against right. her. So it was really embarrassing. It was really shameful. Um, and uh, I just, I felt like I couldn't tell anybody. I wouldn't right. even, I didn't even tell my, I went, to, I went for therapy for something else because mm-hmm. I couldn't tell my therapist what I was, I didn't feel like I would do now, but I didn't feel like I could. So yeah, it's a terrible stigma associated to that because it's like, it's anti-man, it's anti-masculinity. Mm-hmm. Are you a weak man? Really? Mm-hmm. Are you allowed to be a weak man? No. Are you allowed to be a human? No. We talk about sexism in this culture. Sexism means terrible things that, that everybody thinks about women. Well, what about men? Like, mm-hmm. are we even allowed to be, are we even allowed to be people? No. We're supposed to be men. We have to fit a a two-dimensional, two-dimensional mode, mold of who we are. And if we step outside of it, there's no footing for you. Nobody's going to help you. Nobody's going to assist you and be like, yes, that's so so brave. That's so strong. How courageous you are. They'll be like, shut. Can can I swear on this? Is it better? Yeah, no, no, go ahead. Yeah. They'll say, shut the fuck up. Are you kidding me? Look at the size of you. Look at that goal. You're Mm -hmm. a victim. Get the fuck out of here. Right. Right. <laughs> there's no way yeah and i even lived that because i got set up by uh, a couple of girls um i just wrote about it in a book i'm writing right now i'll keep it really short but my ex when i was 33 she took me her brother was an officer in the raf and we went to a christmas party in the raf in the officer's mess full dinner jackets and everything and whilst we were there she wait she waited till i had a few drinks and then she told me she was cheating on me mm. with another dude yeah. Mm. And she told me like this real quiet, like there's this guy and I've been, so I blew up Yeah, and then I got thrown out the officer's mess because who yeah. looks like the asshole? Right. There's a 95 kilogram guy having a meltdown with this tiny, yeah. obviously I'm the bad guy. Yeah. And they call so all these white knights step in and they're, th- they're throwing me out yeah. and chucking me around. And I'm like, ah, you just, it was, it was a nightmare, absolute yeah. nightmare. And I couldn't get anybody to listen, like family, yeah. friends, nobody, nobody would listen. And they, and, and they call that dog whistling because, they, you know, she whispered that. So no one believes that she said it. it's not like she screamed that into the, into the entire party where everyone can see like, oh, yeah, I can understand why he would be upset. It was like she, what bought, she bought me two shots before she told me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, she doesn't usually buy me any drinks. I don't know what's happening here. And then she knew what she was there. And it had the desired effect. You know, mm-hmm. I, she got to be she cried. Mm-hmm. you know and like people like put their arms around oh poor poor you poor mm-hmm. you and i was like she's just ruined my life yes. <laughs> she's just completely but whispered it she was right. really smart really yeah. smart absolutely and so I'm, I'm assuming that that eventually led to 
smear campaign. Of course. I mean, you know, you're, you, it's not enough to break your heart, to ruin your, uh, to betray your honesty, your mm-hmm. loyalty and your love, which is what um, a lot of men are trained to be. If you're, a, if you're a deadbeat, then you cheat, you lie, you get with girls behind her back. But if you're a good man, you keep your word. Your word is your bond. You honor the arrangement. You say you're going to do something. You follow it through, even if you don't want to. So I think why a lot of soldiers get caught up in this. And a lot of uh, MMA guys, they're like trying to follow some ancient code of Bushido or chivalry, which just has no application in the modern world whatsoever. It's dangerous. It's a dangerous idea. Codes of loyalty and honor that you would get from the military also will not serve you here. They, they work against you. They actually right. become a form of codependency. Um, and so, yeah, just my own, I was caught in my own philosophy. So my philosophy of being as a good man, what I conceptualized as a good man combined with the, uh, exploitativeness of the people I'm with, um, combined with just sexism culturally, like culturally Mm -hmm. induced sexism as a view of what men should do and a view of what women should do. And I've got it as well. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sexist. I sometimes say things that are sexist against men. Like I caught myself six months ago, a guy got cheated on by a girl and I said, well, he must have not been satisfying it. And then I was like, if the roles were reversed, would you say that? If the mm-hmm. guy got caught cheating on the girl, would you say, oh, the goal is not satisfying him? That wouldn't even enter your head. Why right. is it his fault? Right. Why is it not? <laughs> so I'm, I'm just as bad. I'm not yeah. a hypocrite. I'm right. bad because it's cultural conditioning. This is how we are trained to think. Mm-hmm. And tell me when we talk about that smear campaign, how uh, how did you deal with it, or how do you how uh, would you advise someone to deal with it? The the first time around, I didn't deal with it. Um, I left the country. I left the continent. I I went to live in Asia because it was so bad. Um, She did such a good job. I mean, all of the people that we knew, she managed to convince people that without actually saying that I'd hit her. Mm-hmm. She implied it enough mm-hmm. that people, I could tell by the way they were looking. She was, she was Chinese. And I had friends in the Chinese community who, when I saw a year after we'd split up, the way they looked to me and the way they spoke to me, I was like, they think something really bad has mm-hmm. happened here. I, you just feel it. You just know, like, people are looking at you like, you piece of shit. Right. You fucking piece of shit. But I don't, she was so smart. I don't think she would have said Mm -hmm. anything that would be slanderous. I think she would have just, just, just on the edge. Doesn't doesn't correct it. I went through one time where I went through one, one time where uh, someone, uh, I think I shared this on your podcast that uh, we only went on a handful of dates. Right. I think we went on maybe four or five dates and she painted herself as though she was like my ex. And then that turned into, this was my ex-wife and then I'm a deadbeat. And then we didn't share kids together, nothing like that. We we're talking about four or five dates. And uh, next thing you know, right, this is my ex-wife and this is this. And, 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 you know, like you said, and, but, but it, the narrative kept on spinning, but there was no correction of it. She just allowed it because as long as the, as long as, the narrative is getting spun, right? Mm-hmm. And as long as people are still, because the whole point is to tarnish your reputation, to change people's view of you. And so yes. as long as that's happening, they could care less and they'll just let it continue to ride. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I do think 
like as you're telling me that I start going into coaching mode and then I start going into coaching mode on my own stuff. There's something to do with our guilt that's pre-existing guilt mm-hmm. and our shame that's probably pre-existing shame from from my childhood stuff right. that sort of creates a space in which that can happen. I just don't see anybody trying to do that to me now. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I don't even know. It's going to be frustrating for your audience because I can't say, oh, do this and do mm-hmm. this and do this and it'll be okay. It's more like, are you the type of person who would fold? I mean, I folded back. Mm-hmm. I left the country, which made me look even more guilty. Mm-hmm. I left and went to another continent mm-hmm. and stayed there for like three years, which made me look worse. But now I just wouldn't. I, I wouldn't at all. There's no, because there was already doubt in me. There was already self-doubt in me. And my whole demeanor now wouldn't, I don't think would permit somebody to try that kind of a smear campaign. Mm-hmm. There's an, almost an esoterically subtle point I'm making here about the energy you bring. If you're strong and you're confident, these people are way less likely to try that with you. But if they feel your energy receding, then they'll be like, I can do this. I, can I think, do yeah, this. I, think I, to, I think to your point, they would you would repel people who would have the potential to try a smear campaign anyway. Well, so so this is this is where we're gonna end up going anyway. Like the mm-hmm. ultimate forget about looking for red flags, forget right. about advice, be a whole person, right. be a, a per because because I wasn't a person. Mm-hmm. A codependent is not really there. They're right. sort of half there and half not. Yep. A people pleaser, a fawn responder. We're not really there. Right. We're easy to blow over. We're way weaker than we think we are. Far mm-hmm. more fragile than right. we think we are. Talk about that. You, t- you mentioned um, people pleaser syndrome, and uh, you talked about uh, you know codependency and um, and how you're um, not even a whole person. Right. And how and how does that how does that play a part and how does that play in right into the hands of someone who's toxic and narcissistic? Well, codependency, strictly speaking, as, as you know, uh, but for the audience sake is, is not a clinical term. It's a mm-hmm. term that gets it gets used and we're all using it in slightly different ways. Um, I've just finished the first draft of a book that's called Just an Echo. Mm-hmm. So I've. I've sort of expanded on the concept because it fascinates me of, of something that I'm calling echo codependency. Mm-hmm. You're an echo because you're never the prime mover. You're always behind. You're always responding to. Right. So we are, it's like Nietzsche's, Nietzsche's slave morality lit, writ large. We serve. Mm-hmm. We serve. We are the kabuki uh, ninja at the back of the Japanese play dressed head to toe in black so that you can't see us against the background. Mm -hmm. And we move the furniture so that the main actors who are colorfully dressed, they can do their roles and do their parts and we're not to be looked at. We serve, that's all we do. So we have this echo codependency. And if you're a, what I would say is like a dyed in the wall, echo codependent, you don't really inhabit your life. You you haunt your life Mm -hmm. because you're never there. You, and this is, so if the narcissist is the ultimate predator, we're the ultimate prey. Mm-hmm. There's no person there with a narcissist. There's just the false self. Well, for us, we leave like a decoy. So our whole personality is a decoy. You can mm-hmm. eat it. You could destroy it. The tiger can tear it to shreds. We'll come back again tomorrow because we were never there. We're hiding. The true self is hiding in a cave. Yep. But we get lost there. 
we get lost and we can't come back. It's very hard and very painful. So we shrink into a cave. We get very small. We turn ourselves invisible and we pretend we have no wants and no needs. Mm -hmm. And then we serve others until we get really pissed off with serving others. Yeah, and then we, then we start living with resentment because of it. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Which is one of the most painful, destructive emotions a person can feel aside from shame. I mean, shame and resentment together are absolute poison and they create real chaos in the world. I would go so far as to claim that we would end narcissism by ending codependency. Narcissism is a weed, but codependency is the soil in which it grows. And if there's no more codependency, narcissism wouldn't survive a day. Couldn't because that's it a, requires consent. That's a, that's interesting. And I talk about it in, in my lives all the time uh, where we, you know, people ask, you know, people have asked me, how can I tell if this person is a narcissist? How do I stop meeting a narcissist? How do I stop attracting them? All those sorts of things. And I, I tell them immediately exactly what you just said. Stop being codependent. Start working on yourself. Start a self a self love journey. Start setting boundaries, and you you will see it immediately, right? Because yes. it because it, it's it's like their kryptonite, and so yeah. um, it you know is I, I think that people think that um, codependency and unfortunately people enable codependency too. They think that it's uh, they think that it's that this person is just being nice. Right. That this person is just uh, is that true? Are they just being nice or are they you know, are they authentic? Are they being authentic? Like uh, what is the when, when we take it, take narcissism away for a second. Yeah. Is what is what's the problem overall problem with being codependent if narcissism doesn't exist? Um, you would lack authenticity. And this is not then if we if we're not talking narcissism, personality disorders and psychology, but we bump it up to cultural studies and anthropology and sociology, of course, a civilized society requires cooperation. We must cooperate. You're a team player when you're an athlete. You've got to cooperate. It's right. not you mashing everyone in the field. It's you with your teammates doing yeah. your, your strategies, right? That's cooperation. And when we were hunter-gatherers, we cooperated as wolves do, as lions do. They have strategies and they figure it out and everybody has their role great cooperation good thing is kindness a good thing yes species who coexist with other animals do better in the wild they live longer they they thrive better uh, human societies that are cooperative live longer they do better but there is a point of diminishing returns cooperation cannot exist along an infinite spectrum because i am not infinite mm -hmm. if i was a soul with infinite energy of the universe of course but I'm not, I'm just me and I get tired and I have needs. I have like physical needs, psychological needs, emotional needs. I must give to my tribe. I must give to my family and my clan, but I need something too. And it's not a binary issue. Like, oh, you're going to be really nice or you're going to be a total selfish dickhead. No, <laughs> everything is balanced. It's yin and yang integrated. And we've lost the balance because that you you like annoying your audience let me annoy your audience too yeah, we're cowards yeah. we're cowards mm -hmm. it's not honorable to be a codependent it's not honorable to be hyper agreeable you're a coward because and you're an addict you're worse than a coward you're an addict mm -hmm. <laughs> piss, piss everyone off now you're scared of the conflict of saying no you're frightened you're anxious you're terrified of saying no i don't want to do that 
And you're scared to have the courage to say to a person, another adult, look them in the eyes and say to them, this is what I want from you. And if you cannot give it, you must leave. Right. It's abandonment terror where codependency and borderline personality disorder is overlaps mm-hmm. an awful lot in many ways. But you asked about the, like if we took, if we bumped it up to the cultural level, you must have cooperation, but it cannot be limitless. It cannot be limitless. How would it, so for those of people who are listening, uh, how would someone say, how would someone tell, like if they're struggling with codependency, what are some things that they can look within themselves um, to say, like, you know what, that's something I struggle with. I think every codependent knows. Mm-hmm. I think they know. <laughs> like mm-hmm. if I give you a description like that, and I say, you're scared to ask for what you want. You're, you're neurotically driven to help. You're telling yourself it's a choice or you're doing it because you're a good Christian, a good Muslim, a good Buddhist. I know. I told myself the same shit. It's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. You're not doing it for that reason. You're scared. You're, you fear conflict. You don't like chaos. You were raised in a violent household probably and mommy and daddy would scream at each other and you would piss yourself with fear. So you're trying to stop that chaos. But mm-hmm. that is a God complex that's a God complex and that's manipulative. It's also a form of narcissism. Mm-hmm. Let them be. Mm-hmm. Let, if people are going to fight, let them fight. As long as, as, long as the bullets don't spray you, mm-hmm. let them go for it. Yeah. And this is why I would say, if we're, like culturally, we're living in a time of enforced codependency. It's the time of the smother mother. We're trying to stop violence in the world. We're trying to stop evil in the world. The whole social justice warrior movement is for that. And I'm like, what do you think? We live in Narnia? you're not getting rid of evil you know people are going to start robbing each other and it comes down when it comes comes down to boundaries one of the things i teach people is that one of the core essence of boundaries is who's responsible for what and a lot of times codependents struggle with understanding who's responsible for what when you tell that person no and that person pops off and they're getting angry that anger is not your responsibility and a codependent will think that it's their responsibility to fix this other person it's not you tell someone no and they get angry and they start getting pissed off it's not doesn't mean that you should have said yes it's not your responsibility right but quite often going back to what you said in terms of as a when you were a child when you were a child and your parents got pissed off right you thought it was your responsibility to solve that issue with your parents that was your parents problem right your parents had the responsibility to to deal with that and uh and and unfortunately we carry that on into adulthood I think, I think what you just said for the last 25 seconds, you, your followers should clip that. And if they struggle with this, they should just listen to that like five times a day, every day. It's not for you to fix. It's not, you're not a kid anymore. This isn't mommy and daddy. Know what is yours. Know what is theirs. Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. It's right. not yours, mate. It's Absolutely. not yours. And be alleviated. How mm-hmm. wonderful. What I remind myself is if I don't have power over something, I'm not responsible for something. Mm-hmm. So I don't have power over the weather, the economy, the decisions of politicians, the most of life I don't have power over. So I'm not responsible for most of it. Right. I'm responsible for this, right. for what this dude does or doesn't do. If you have children up to a certain age because you have power over them, you are responsible. We treat people like children. We treat our partners like children. They're not. And they'll let you and they'll use that when they see it in you because yep. a, a parent's love for a child is, is supposed to be infinite. Mm-hmm. So they can do, they can cheat on you. They can spit at you. They can do you know, whatever, the most outrageous things. And you still love them because you're trying to fuse 
and merge with them as a parent to a child. And it's sick. It's sick. Not only is it not honorable, what we're doing is perverted. And the other person, by the way, doesn't consent to that. Mm -hmm. We force that on them. I'm your daddy now. I'm your mommy now. Dude, no, stop. Mm -hmm. Stop. Don't fuse like that because it's really disempowering for both parties when that happens. It's Mm -hmm. really sick. Yeah. And, and uh, so um, it sounds like there's lasting damage to the child as well. And that's in those types of situations. hundred percent. hundred percent. Also, like, it sounds like ultimately that, the, that, the, that the codependent also has uh, that we talk about the narcissist having uh, wanting control all the time. It sounds like the codependent wants control as well. Look, uh, for me, my version of echo codependency is we are not the opposite of a narcissist. We're the mm-hmm. inverse of a narcissist. Mm-hmm. We're the inverse. We're, we're the mirror image of a yeah. narcissist. We're the echo. So it's Narcissus, the story of Narcissus. Um, but he also had um, a person who loved him called Echo. Mm-hmm. And when he spoke, she would say back whatever he said. Well, that's a narcissistic tactic to mm-hmm. reflect what the other says. So the narcissist scans you, scans your desires, your political beliefs, your philosophy, your psychology, and feeds it back to you. So you go, oh, wow, they're just like me. How awesome. Well, that's, that's you having your narcissism stroke. That's right. how they get us. They mm-hmm. feed our narcissism back to us and we fall in love with that. They're not our opposite. They're just not. They're, we're, somewhere, we're somewhere in that dark space with them. And because uh, to the point about children, a child has no boundaries. So when mommy and daddy are screaming at each other, I don't, beyond a certain age, I don't see mommy and daddy. It's all me. Yeah. So mommy and daddy are screaming. I'm the room in which it happens. I'm the house. I'm right. the child. I'm the mommy. I'm the, I'm, every, I'm the scream itself. I'm the violence that happens. If that was your upbringing, that's what you're bringing to the table now. Ba- that's no ego boundaries. Who else has no ego boundaries? The narcissist right. also has no ego boundaries and no respect for the other. We disrespect the other when we pick up their laundry for them. We mm-hmm. disrespect the other when we pick up their burdens for them. Those burdens are theirs. And you you can take like a religious view of this. You can take like a Buddhist or Muslim or Christian view of this and say, you're t- that's their dharma. That's their karma. Mm-hmm. You pick that up. Who like who's that serve? That's for them. It's not yours. That's their job. Like so, even what we do, not just at a psychological level, but a spiritual level, is sick. Really sick. Absolutely, absolutely. This is uh, this is absolutely fascinating. uh, This is um, so. I mean, we've talked about the you know the people pleaser, and we've talked about um, you know you, you mentioned a bit about the the chaotic nature of the of the codependent. Uh, the chaotic nature and um, and it just it sounds like just the same way that they thrive in the chaos the same way that a narcissist would. I think so, and I think when you you had me thinking when we did our interview and you said that codependents have ADHD. Oh, I think not like, not all the time, but yeah, they they can some. They, yeah, they they can some. So that thriving in chaos is what I associate with that adrenophilia, that mm-hmm. flight response, that idiot. Like if there's chaos, then there's no silence. Maybe right. we all like codependence and narcissists, we fear the silence mm-hmm. because in the silence, we will go back to the childhood trauma. The, yeah. the narcissist is a product of childhood trauma. Right. Very similar childhood trauma to the codependent. I would One say that probably. I would say that the codependent, I would say that the codependent and the um, narcissist grew up in the same household. 
hundred percent. One was probably the golden child, and the other one was probably the black sheep. Mm-hmm. If you're the black sheep, you can't do right for doing wrong. Mm-hmm. If you're the golden child, you can't do wrong for doing right. And both are completely sick. It's yeah. psychotic. It's delusional. So probably one or both parents was psychotically delusional mm-hmm. to inflict that ideology on you. Everything you do is perfect, no matter what you. But everything you do is garbage, no matter what you do. So overperform, overcompensate. You become entitled and exploitative. You become a perfectionist overperformer who hates themselves. Mm-hmm. You love yourself, or you love the image of yourself that I've given you, rather, because yeah. it's it's sick. It's but yes, you're. I, I agree with you 100. They are raised in the same household, and you can track that. You can uh, absolutely track it. For the people who are listening and are struggling with codependency, how would um, what are what are some tips that you would give in terms of how to heal from it? pray just fucking start praying (laughs) it's tough because like the the model that i work from is a shrunken self we have through trauma through the nature of the trauma we endured we shrank ourselves away to survive and we learned that in childhood and now it's really really going to be very hard to unlearn it because we associate being not shrunken but present with danger so Mm -hmm. when we showed ourselves as a child and we said i have a will mother i am here and i wish to do this we would have been punished savagely for that and when you're punished savagely for asserting your will and for being present again and again and again physical punishment psychological punishment shaming guilting being terrified all the rest of it eventually you learn at a, a neurobiological level don't be here Mm-hmm. Don't be present. Don't have a will. Don't have a wish. Don't have a want. Burn all that out of you. Right. Burn it out. Push it away. Push it down. Push it far, far away. And you shrink. That's why I say we don't live our lives. We haunt them because we're ghosts. Mm-hmm. We're ghosts. We're barely here. Whereas here, as little as we can be to keep functioning. And I, I really think it's a hypothesis, but I think there's probably going to be, we could probably track like, we'll be prone to more illnesses, physical illnesses because of that, because we're not really embodying the space. We're not really present here. I actually talked about that earlier in in my live that, yeah, uh, 100%, especially if you're still dealing with a toxic relationship, but definitely 100%. um, That's, that's, uh, that's shown to be true, especially still in the toxic relationship that your body begins to try to warn you. Your body knows right from the beginning. I don't like this person. Get me the fuck out of here. Right? And it starts kicking and screaming. And, and every single time something happens, your body's like, I told you, I don't like this person. Get me the fuck out of here. And eventually it just sits there and starts this like, like a little kid, like throwing a tantrum. But ultimately that means that your body is breaking down. You know, that walking on eggshells feeling, you start having headaches, sleepless nights, you're, you're uh, fatigued all the time. Um, you know, blood pressure starts going up and that's your body, like literally crying out to you, trying to warn you, like, get me away from this person. This person is literally poisoning me. Right. Uh, But, but ultimately, but this is where, um, where a lot of people struggle, where, where that codependency starts coming in. Well, maybe if I can fix this, maybe if I fix them, they'll fix me, you know, and going back to that whole echoing thing that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, if, if I can love them better. They're really damaged, but I can love them better. Right. I can pour more and more love into this gaping hole, this black right. hole, mm-hmm. and everything will be okay. And I would just like, I wish I could go back in time and slap myself in the face and say, who do you think you are? 
Right. You think you're Gandhi? Mm-hmm. You think you're Jesus? Right. Leave this person alone. Right. Heal yourself. Yeah. You can't even save yourself. You can't even put your own socks on. You think you're going to love another human being better? Are you insane? Right. And that <laughs> Leave gonna, them be. And, that, and that that's going to change their behavior. And right. That's going to change. That's going to change the the outcome. Not realizing that you're you're actually enabling the same behavior that's causing all the problems anyway. It's a vicious cycle. It's the codependent narcissistic trap that everyone talks about. And and I think like what I'm seeing in, in myself in this is almost like the mother archetype. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a mothering strategy. Mm-hmm. It's a smother mother strategy. I will coddle you and kiss you and smother you until you get better. Yeah. Because there's something magically healing about my kissing, cuddling, and smothering. That's mm-hmm. insane. I mean, and it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And how sad you're going to be when you find when you wake up one day and find that all that love and all that effort it made not one bit of difference. Nope. In fact, you probably made them sicker. You probably mm-hmm. made them even worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's an extremely painful experience to the point about overcoming that. One of the first steps mm-hmm. is like recognize the patterns, recognize it's sickness. It's an addiction. This is cowardice. This is not strength. This is not, this is not Buddhism in action. This is not you being a good Christian. This is mm-hmm. this is a sickness. This is not right. You're not consenting to this. It's neurotic. And then slowly, slowly allowing yourself to have a will and to say it's safe for me to be here and to ask for what I want, but I need to be very, very brave in order to do that. I think another point that, that needs to be brought out is um, a lot of time because we know it's a trauma, trauma response and people want to stay safe it's also not keeping you safe the way that you think that it is it's actually putting you in more it's actually putting you uh in harm's way because you're literally walk if you continue this behavior forget about romantic relationships we're talking also talking about uh your boss your co-workers you literally are walking around with a target on your back you just like what you said you are the perfect perfect soil for someone who is narcissistic, for someone who is manipulative and abusive, because that is exactly what they're looking for. Uh, someone yeah. who is codependent, someone who's a people pleaser, someone who's constantly giving um, that what they're not looking for. They're not looking for someone who can assert a boundary. Fuck that. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. no way. They're looking for, they 100% want another victim. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and so you have to, to your point, you have to embrace when you start asserting boundaries that you're going to piss other people off. But unfortunately, going back to that yin and that yang that you're talking about, it's needed, right? That yes. you, know, you have to, I tell people all the time that if, if everyone likes you, and I hear someone say like, oh, everyone likes me. Everyone thinks I'm the life of the party. Everyone thinks this, everyone, there's a problem here, right? Really? There's going to be a big time problem. 100%. We've lost that part of our um, sort of a, a morality culturally. It's disappeared. Mm-hmm. Be likable get likes even you know the social media thing the more likes you have the better wrong false there's no evidence for that whatsoever what i started saying to people was more like a philosophical point which is there is a conflict in being if Mm -hmm. i be and you be we're two men yeah we're physical like we're big dudes if we both sit on a couch it takes up space there can't be five of us there could be two Mm -hmm. because there is a conflict in being I can't help it. I Mm -hmm. take up oxygen. I take up, I'm here. Mm -hmm. I physically am here. And the codependent wants to be a ghost and not take up space and not impose. I mustn't impose. Well, you do. 
because you're a thing. So the, the, the very physical presence of a human being in a human body, whether you're male or female, is essentially masculine. It's mm -hmm. yang. Yeah. And in yang, there is conflict. Yin is non-confrontational because it's potentiality, it's space. Jordan Peterson would always say it's chaos. That's a mm -hmm. mistranslation. It's actually space. In Taoism, yin is potentiality. It's chaos in the medieval sense. Chaos used to mean it could be anything. Now it means something that's a maelstrom that's bad. So in yang, there is conflict. When we choose to be, we do not have the luxury of saying no to conflict. You don't have that luxury. You're a human. You're a grown-up. You're an adult. You will have conflict. Get used to it. One of the things I want to ask, because I know you started, uh, I mean, everything was, we, we had things online, but I know you mentioned that you started on with DVDs and things like that. But uh, one of the things that has really, really, I've seen it escalate, uh, escalate uh, dramatically within the last year and a half, two years, especially on TikTok, is online bullying from adults. We're not talking about kids anymore, right? Mm -hmm. From adults, um, you know, kind of piggybacking on that whole smear campaign thing. Again, I'm sure that you've dealt with it um, you know, in your profession, whether we're talking about profession, or if we're talking about romantic partners, things like that, uh, how, how do you advise people dealing with that? Uh, whether it be professional, whether it be, um, you know, someone just upset with something that you've said, you know, uh, personally, professionally, um, just kind of from, from, a um, someone who deals with self-defense. Cause I think that's probably, I can only assume that that's probably starting to head your way in terms of self-defense as well. I think, I think, you know, we can make a similar, similar analogy that was made before. Like if you put content out there, you put art, you put music, you put a book, you put a TikTok video, an essay out there, that's an exercise in yang. You created mm -hmm. a thing and you pushed down to the world. There's going to be pushback yeah. and there's going to be conflict. I think the best way to deal with that is to expect it. Like mm -hmm. you must expect it. You must expect shitty reviews you must expect criticism you must expect reaction seeking narcissistic patterns of behavior and it will cost you uh, a lot if you allow it to emotionally dysregulate you just delete and block delete and block delete and block and the more zen like state you can do it in if you can see it as almost like you're dealing with artificial intelligence which in a way you are when mm -hmm. it's narcissistically when it's coming from narcissism, that bullying, it kind of is artificial intelligence. It's not about you. It's not personal. It's not about your work. That's what they do. That's what they do. They'd yeah. already did that to 10 other people today. It's just your turn. Don't worry about it. If we, if we emotionally attach to that and we get like an adrenaline spike and you're thinking about it when you're trying to sleep and it makes you cranky, they got something. They got something on you. Uh, so, so thank you. Thank you very much for hopping on. Um, I'm going to toss it over to you. If you can give us some closing thoughts, um, maybe some, maybe a mantra that you live by something that you, um, that you teach other people or, uh, anything that you feel that could be closing thoughts that could be relevant to something that we talked about, or just something that you might live by. One of, one of the things that I'm using a lot at the moment is what you said, like, this is mine and that is yours. Mm -hmm. That's a good mantra to remember. And really sort that in your life and give stuff back to people in your own mind, emotionally, in your heart. This is mine and that's yours. The second thing would be, if I don't have power over it, I'm not responsible for it. Yeah. So the, the stuff other people are doing, people in your life, your boss, romantic partners, whatever, 
just if you don't have power over it, you're not responsible for it. You're not responsible. That doesn't mean you can't change it. Or I'm not saying do nothing. I'm not a nihilist, but don't fret over stuff that you shouldn't be fretting over. That's not yours. And um, the other thing would just be, be courageous. It's hard to be an adult. It's, it's, you know, there's no reward in this culture for being an adult. It's trying to infantilize us as much as possible. We're in late stage consumer capitalism. There's no rewards for being a sensible switched on adult that come externally. The reward is all internal. It's between you and you. And if you believe in God, between you and God, that's it. Or you and life, if you like, between you and reality. Um, but it takes courage, real courage, and you have to find your own way. There's not much support out there, except maybe in groups like the one you've got. If you do have the luxury or, or the, the privilege of a group like this, uh, hold to it and, and cultivate it. I'm saying to the audience members, like, don't take it for granted. Cultivate the group and, and try and keep it strong. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Richard Grannon. Richard, thank you very much for hopping on. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but people can find you, people can find your work on um, SpartanLifeCoach.com. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Okay. And, uh, it, and you are on all social media platforms, YouTube. I know you're, you recently got on TikTok. I know you're, um, you've, I've seen you, you go live a handful of times on uh, Instagram as well. Is there anything, any, any other place that people can find you? Um, no, I think you covered it. That's it. Like they'll find me on YouTube. If you put in Richard Grannon, you'll find me there and Instagram. I'm active on as well. Yeah. So that's it, I guess. Thank you very much. And we will have to do this again. Thank you, sir. I enjoyed it. Keep your head to the sky. Spread your wings wide. Show the world you can fly, baby. Show the world you can fly. Show the world you can fly, baby. Dream big. Keep your head to the sky. Spread your wings wide. Show the world you can fly, baby. Show the world you can fly. Yeah. Show the world you can fly. Dream big. Keep your head to the sky. Spread your wings wide. Show the world you can fly, baby. Show the world you can fly. Where you can fly, dream big, keep your head to the sky. Spread your wings wide, show the world you can fly, baby. Show the world you can fly, show the world you can fly. Dream big, now the time we dream big. It's all we take with us and the things we did. Dream big, yeah. Just dream big, yeah. That's what my nana said. Dream big, what we told me, dream big. It's all we take with us and the things we did. Dream big, yeah. 